You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 50 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the kitchen studio again this week is my co-host Matt Smith. Hello, morning. And how's Matt today? He's all right, thank you. Yes, relieved that the show is finally over. Yes, Matt has finished his last panto yes, for uh, yes. this season. Last <laughs> night, he's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're the only people that do it in February. It's because it's, it's a lot of the people are in are, are teachers, so it's February half term. You see, as well. And uh, yeah, he's uh, his throat's a bit, bit croaky little, this morning, yes, but he's, he'll be fine. Yes. We'll, we'll manage. We'll muddle yes. through the power of drugs. Hey. So we have made it to episode number fifty. Yes. Wow, it's our big five zero, yes. and we have also uh, got a very special guest joining us. We have indeed. in the kitchen studio today, and uh, he's had a very, very um, amazing flying pass, mm. and uh, we'd like to welcome into the studio Rodney Blois. Hey, Rodney Blois, how are you? Good morning, and thank you, very, thank you very much, and delighted to be here to join you. Yeah, thank you for joining us on this yeah, cold uh, Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. A lovely morning to be flying, we shouldn't be on the ground. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> So Rodney, you, you've done you've done quite a, quite a lot of flying in your in your past, and you still fly as well. Still, you currently fly as well, don't you? Oh yes, I'm, I'm still at it. I've now just clocked about nine thousand private flying hours, and haven't given Gosh. up yet. Wow, so, um, still at it. God, oh, blimey! You've got a long while to get go yet. Then, makes Carl. makes my nineteen look right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. nineteen and a half. Yeah, nineteen and a half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I have yes, a small piece of news uh, mm. from yesterday. So had uh, had my first solo flight. Yes. Yes. Uh, which uh, and was, the good uh, news is he's still here, still, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I had my first solo flight thrown at me yesterday by my instructor, who yes. um, didn't warn me at all and just uh, hopped out, and uh, I had my first uh, first solo flight in the circuit. Only fifteen minutes, but it was uh, on my own, yeah. and I have to say it was a unforgettable experience. Yeah, that okay. I shall always hold with me. I think I'll never forget that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rodney was saying earlier, you you've never uh, forgotten your first um, your first flight, first oh, solo flight. Oh, absolutely. Many years ago now, but it's a memory that will live you live with you forever and ever and ever. And uh, many, many, many congratulations on uh, yesterday's fantastic effort. Well done. <laughs> thank yes. you, thank you, Rodney. Yeah, and he didn't break anything. That's the thing I'm most impressed no. by. <laughs> no, I, I gently, gently brought the aircraft Did down you? onto the right. uh, onto two seven. Yeah, it yes. was. Uh, it was it, it was almost almost as good, if not better, than what I do when I have uh, my instructor John sitting next to me. Which, uh, yeah, but he, he video. What I like it. about you, so. modest as ever. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but mind you, conventionally, your next few circuits will not be anything like this. No, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no I, John did say that that that's the first of many solo flights. Right. So uh, yes. yeah, I've um, <laughs> just got I've got some uh, brushing up to do on a few little uh, techniques and stuff. But uh, right, no, right. it's good. Yeah, but then it's only nineteen and a half hours. So yeah, I know, uh, I know, I know. It's quite scary. Is there what's what's the? I mean, do you have to have a certain amount of hours under your your belt before you can actually do your solo flight I mean it's so it's just no, whenever it's, your instructor feels no, no, when, whenever, your, whenever your instructor feels you're safe to go right um, some people do it in five hours some, do, some people do it in 50 hours it's um, right. entirely okay. your own competence and the instructor's confidence oh good you. I'm oh, kind right. of midway then <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, that works yeah. it works well yeah. so we've got uh, a few uh, we've got well, six news stories yep. for this week. Yep. Uh, we're going to keep the news segment short for this week as uh, as we've got uh, our special guest in the studio. And uh, he's got some absolutely awesome stories mm. to uh, tell our listeners. Forward, so forward we're looking it. forward to that. Mm. So we are going to start off then with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and from the UK as well. So 
if everyone is ready. Oh, yes. Are you ready, Rodney? Indeed. Okay, let's go. <laughs> So kicking off this week's uh, first news story then, it's on the Travel Pulse site and British Airways is looking for a few good pilots. Uh, British Airways has announced they're looking for 100 pilots. The airline announced this week that the application window for its popular but selective British Airways Future Pilot Programme or FPP uh, 2015 will open for a limited time from February the 23rd to March the 8th. The European Pilot Training and Resourcing Company, CTC Aviation, will manage the programme on behalf of British Airways and will also act as a training provider for aspiring pilots who are selected to join the programme. We're incredibly proud of this successful programme and delighted with the quality of the new recruits joining our pilot community. This year, uh, British Airways will be looking for 100 new pilots to join the airline, the most we have ever sought through the Future Pilot programme. Uh, Lindsay Craig, man, uh, the manager of the pilot recruitment for British Airways, said in a statement, our customers will continue to benefit from having the most highly trained pilots to help ensure they have an enjoyable and safe flight every time they travel. The programme is selective. Uh, while BA is looking for 100 new pilots, it will come out of an applicant pool of more than 4,000 candidates, oh <laughs> meaning less than 3% of applicants will have a chance to be chosen. Wow. When they are, however, the benefits are significant and British Airways will, where required, provide a necessary guarantee to enable successful candidates to secure a bank loan for the funding required, enabling anyone with the necessary motivation skills uh, to enter a career as an airline pilot. Successful applicants will be made uh, a conditional offer of employment with BA prior to commencement of training. So there we go. What a story. It puts it all a bit in perspective, though, doesn't it? Because you think, oh, lovely, they want they want 100 pilots, and then, then you say that it's an application pool of, of 4,000. 4, I mean, it's, I know. that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, dear. No, it's it's good that uh, BA are doing this, mm. um, but then you have got to take a bank loan. I mean, I think nowadays, uh, Rodney, I think the, the general sort of thing is around the eighty to £100,000 pound to get your commercial... Um, well, to get the ATPL. Yeah, yeah. To get, to get a frozen ATPL... <clears throat> yes, it's that sort of numbers yet. It's a it's very expensive business. Uh, the number of applicants are, is uh, ever ever increasing, mm. and the sal- salary levels are ever reducing. What a captain earns now uh, is a lot less than he was uh, 20, 20, 30 years ago when he Gosh. was a sky god, and now they're just ch- ch- churning them out and they're putting pilots into the right hand seat of EasyJet. Yeah. You know, two, 250 hours total time. You know, really? Gosh, yeah. oh, I, th- I thought the, uh, the limit had increased for the amount of hours that airlines will take pilots on with now. Or... Well, these are their, their own ones they've trained through. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's. Gosh. Blimey. Scary stuff, isn't but it? But that is quite a big, uh, big sort of expenditure alone to take out, especially if you're young. Cool, yeah. Yeah, but um, but well, like it, I, said, I suppose it, it takes like, it takes so many years to pay back the loan with the mm, wages that you're you're getting from the airline. It's, 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 it's like committing to a house, isn't it? No, I mean, you're bonded in, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But uh, no, that's uh, that's good news. So next story. Uh, yes, uh, on that vine, we're t- talking about EasyJet uh, there. 
Uh, and this is from the future travel experience. And EasyJet changes cabin bag policy, uh, but could have it, could it have a negative effect on the passenger experience? EasyJet has announced that it will soon allow some customers to take a second piece of hand luggage on board the aircraft in a change to its existing policy, which states that all passengers are entitled to just a single piece of cabin luggage. Holders of an EasyJet Plus card and any passenger who has purchased a Flexi Flare Flexi fare or upfront extra legroom seats will be able to take a, a, a handbag or laptop sized uh, bag on board. In addition to a, a cabin bag measuring up to 56 by 45 by 25 centimeters for those passengers in front in front row or over wing seats, the smaller piece of hand luggage will be placed over the air, in the overhead locker. The move is unsurprising considering low-cost rival Ryanair introduced a similar rule over a year ago, but uh, here at uh, FTE we can't help but wonder if this could well have a negative impact on some passengers' experiences mm. uh, because overhead locker space is already very limited. In 2014, EasyJet recorded an improved average load factor of 90.8%. And with more passengers now travelling with hand luggage only, FTE has witnessed the battle for overhead locker space on some or on more than one occasion over the last 12 months. Seeing passengers uh, have to check in cabin-sized bags at the gate because the overhead locker space is running out uh, and is no longer uh, an uncommon sight. For some travellers, this may be a minor inconvenience, but for others who've had a, made a conscious effort not to have to travel with hold luggage in order to avoid a long wait at baggage claim, it can easily have a negative impact on their experience. It's important to note that it's not a, pro- not, not a, a unique problem to EasyJet and other airlines must also work out how they uh, prevent increasingly limited overhead space from negatively affecting passenger experience and aircraft turnaround times. So it's, it's funny that EasyJet have taken... <clears throat> this amount of time to cotton on to the idea that Ryanair, uh, you know, yeah. they introduced a year ago. Yeah. Um, but I can vouch for experience, as mm. me and Matt were discussing earlier, Rodney, that if uh, have you flown with Ryanair before, Rodney? I'm afraid so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see someone else yes, has our same views. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Um, but when you when you're when when we flew back from Lanzarote a couple of weeks ago yeah. um, with Ryanair. And uh, you you tend to get people tra- you know, coming with two bags on board now, hand luggage mm. bags, and the overhead bins are filled yeah. within half the amount of people getting on the plane mm. that the bins are full. So you've got another half of the aircraft of people getting on, mm. and there's no overhead sort of space to put anything. Well, they, they eventually manage to, to fill it all. You don't, doesn't the plane the flight is not often delayed while they take stuff out, no. put it in mm. the bag. No. In spite of all the problems with the overhead luggage mm. and getting stuff in that the planes do actually leave on time and arrive mm. on time mm. their, their, their punctuality is, is pretty good and it is. Uh, mm. we, we all have to learn to suffer um, the squash of the overhead luggage yeah. and, uh, and we'd but, rather do that than have the flight delayed and while they take yeah. the baggage off and push it into yeah. the hold and uh, well I mean I'm, whenever we go on holiday we do exactly that we I can't remember the last time I checked in a bag in the hold I mean we, we you know we pack a because I mean I only tend to go for a week and um, so you do, you get very good about packing it all into one bag. And then, and that, then. I think Ryanair, are, to be fair, are generous with their hand luggage allowance because you're mm. allowed 10 kilos for, for hand luggage to carry on. Yeah. Um, I mean, we flew out with Thompson, yeah. um, you know, for our holiday ago. a couple of weeks ago. And flying out with Thompson, they give you five mm. kilos. So if you've got a full size hand luggage case, maximum size, that generally tends to weigh. 
two kilos, mm. one and a half, two yeah. kilos. So you, no, you but there lies the problem is Rana and EasyJet and British Airways, they all have different dimensions, never mind mm. the weight, mm. but the size of the bag you're allowed to carry on is different. One has 55, one has 53, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and they have these Absolutely. stupid little, 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 um, the frames. Items you put yeah. them in, and, uh, and they're all different sizes, different airline, and yeah. uh, that, that's very confusing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've not been caught out yet. No, touch wood, <laughs> touch wood. So next story then, uh, Fly Global mm-hmm. and uh, Rolls-Royce to fly Trent XWB with largest ever 3D printed parts. Mm. Uh, Rolls-Royce will flight test later this year a Trent XWB 97 engine fitted with what it claims is the largest component ever built using Additive Layer Manufacturing, or ALM. The titanium structure is 1.5 metres in diameter and 0.5 millimetres thick. Uh, Front bearing housing containing 48 aerofoils, manufactured using the ALM technique, also known as 3D printing. The UK propulsion giant has already ground-tested several XWB-97s, the sole engine for the in-development Airbus A350-1000, containing the tractor-tire-sized uh, tractor part, but no engine including such a large ALM component has ever been powered uh, or ever powered an aircraft in flight, says Rolls-Royce. Although production XWB-97s will not contain the ALM component, at least uh, not initially for this uh, stage anyway, the Derby-based company says the project is a key step towards providing the industrial viability of the process, which it says could trim 30% from like-for-like manufacturing lead time. So I was looking up, I'm trying to find more about this uh, 3D printing thing, because mm. you hear about the 3D printing kind of uh, part oh, yeah. printing and stuff in the manufacturing processes and that. And uh, for them to try and to in, you know install this onto an engine, I think um, is is sort of looking way, way, way into the future, I think, for parts for, you know, for our engines. And- uh, I mean, that's a heck of a printer, 1.5 metres, I think. <laughs> and that's the part that comes out here. I think, Actually, you, however big must the machine be that's around it, you kind know. of think of this as you know, you think of sort of a, a, a cannon or yeah. any other printers are available, but yeah. a, a printer, and yeah. you kind of think of a piece of paper coming yes. out. Yeah, yeah. But this, you know, this is a machine that, that actually makes, formulates, and builds a part. Mm. Um, it's amazing. Of tight made of titanium, yeah. um, but uh, it, it's great. I think Rolls Royce are one of the lead, you know. You know, leaders in, mm. uh, in 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 aviation engines, I think, um, for definite, yeah. Well, um, I mean, they, again, they must have done an awful lot of testing. I mean, this is not the sort of part you want to fail, is it? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's I'm, I'm sure they know what they're doing. So, next story. <laughs> next story. Yes, this is uh, on futuretravelexperience.com, and the headline is Air China unveils uh, four class seven four seven dash eight intercontinental intercontinental with cultural cabin design. Um, Air China has taken delivery of its first Boeing 747-8 Intercontinental, which is configured in a four-class layout and has a cabin interior designed collaboratively by JPA Design and famous Chinese artist Han Milin. The aircraft features 233 economy class seats, 66 premium economy seats uh, with an extra 5 to 6 inch uh, seat pitch compared to economy, 54 business class seats and 12 first class lie flat beds. Interestingly, the first class cabin is positioned behind business class and just ahead of the premium economy, while the remainder of the business class seats are located on the upper deck. 
The bespoke artwork for the cabin interior is said to be inspired by Phoenix in flight and clouds and is designed to help create the feeling among passengers that they are being carried on the wings of a phoenix, which is the emblem of the airline. This artwork is featured throughout the cabin, including the on-seat covers, wall laminates and in-flight amenities, including the pillows and duvets. In a statement released to mark the delivery of the new aircraft, um, President of Air China said that the Air China has been uh, operating 747 since the uh, early 1980s. Uh, its iconic aeroplane has uh, played a more important role in the Air China's international development and has also witnessed many milestones of the reform and opening up of China. We are very proud to introduce the new 747-8 into our fleet to continue its tradition into the future. The interior of the 747-8 Intercontinental has been inspired by the 787 Dreamliner and features a curved, unswept architecture to give passengers a greater feeling of space and comfort whilst there are also additional storage space for personal belongings. It's a very nice looking plane, it has to be said. Yeah, the Dash 8. It's the latest um, 747 mm. uh, uh, version, variant. Mm. Um, but for some reason, the this, this particular version, the Intercontinental Dash 8, the latest 747, has not been taken on by as many airlines as what I thought it would do. Mm. Um, it's currently in service with Lufthansa. They were right. the um, they were the airline that took on the the Dash Eight as a, as a passenger yeah. um, aircraft. Um, Air China, obviously, as, as this story says, they've now um, had their first seven four seven Dash Eight. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it first um, flew in two thousand and ten. Hmm. Um, this aircraft and it was introduced into service in two thousand and eleven in October. Right. But it's predominantly been brought by cargo. Air, airlines, um, Cathay Pacific Cargo, Cargo Lux, and Atlas Air right. have brought these for cargo use. And it's it's strange that you think, Rodney, that uh, the seven four seven when it was released many years ago was such a popular aircraft with long haul airlines all around the world, and they're still flying the four hundred series. They're still flying all around the world, but this latest version, the eight hundred, you know, the Dash Eight Intercontinental, has, has just not been sort of welcomed by. You know, a, a lot of the big airlines. I suppose they've all been tri- working on the, the Dreamliner and the mm. uh, newest Airbus, and uh, I think maybe the seven four seven family is getting a bit tired. Uh, yeah, I mean they've stretched the the differences between of um, the four hundred and the Dash Eight. They've uh, extended the upper deck slightly mm. longer uh, up upstairs as such, and it's got a new wing design as well, mm. and obviously new engines, and it's slightly stretched. The actual body is slightly stretched. Mm. But it is essentially, you know, it is uh, um, uh, developed from the the four hundred series seven four seven. But uh, did you know, Rodney, that uh, we covered this in last week's episode? Um, the uh, American Air Force and the presidential side of things have chosen the Dash A as the replacement for uh, Air Force One. Oh, I thought oh. yes, the new Air Force One is yeah. going to be a. Well, they would have to go that way. I can't see them buying an Airbus. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, they've chosen they've chosen this to replace because they're using uh, Dash two hundred seven four sevens. So mm. quite an old yeah, aircraft. Yeah. Um, but it'll be it'll be great to see these painted with the um, mm. the Air Force one. You know the you know, markings and that stripe, blue yeah. stripe. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> so moving on yeah. to our next story, and this one is a UK carrier future travel experience site. This one. Uh, leisure carrier Thomas Cook unveils new long-haul premium cabin. Mm-hmm. 
The British charter carrier Thomas Cook Airlines has unveiled its all-new Airbus A330, which includes a premium cabin for the first time. Travellers flying with the leisure carrier can opt to upgrade to the new premium cabin, which includes a seat pitched at 35 inches and a 19.7-inch uh, wide seat and more comprehensive embedded in-flight entertainment on offer on an 8.9-inch monitor. Mm. The premium seats uh, also feature adjustable head and footrests and personal in-arm tray tables, as well as premium meal service and complimentary drink service throughout the flight. Premium passengers can also make use of priority check-in and boarding as well, and fast-track security at the airport. The economy cabin has also been enhanced uh, with new slimline seats, which allow for 31-inch seat pitch and an 18.2-inch width as well on the seats, while the IFE screens are on par with those offered on premium cabins, albeit with fewer on-demand movies and television shows. Economy class does, however, include a three-course meal by celebrity chef James Martin and an additional lighter meal or snack. The new Thomas Cook Economy Cabin will be available from December 2014. I mean, that's already coming to service. Uh, With the premium cabin to enter service from May this year on services departing from Manchester Airport. Mm. Now you had a look at this quickly before we I started. I did. I watched the video. Yeah, and uh, it looks quite. It does look really nice. It does the premium cab yeah. if you can afford the extra sort of uh, have a hundred pound or I don't know how much it is exactly for the <laughs> upgrade to premium. Where you're going, yes. it depends on whether you can blag an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. To, uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's how I like to do things. Yes. Um, pull out the. Uh, the media card. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure it has much carries much weight on probably the, probably not with Thomas, Thomas Cook. Cook I don't no, think no, no, no. Who? Yeah. Um, no, I, I I think this is great. This is going to be um, a really good um, experience for passengers. Mm. The seats are a lot better. The like I said, yeah. the IFE is a lot better on board. Yeah. Um, flown Thomas Cook before, Rodney? No, never never been to Lanzarote either. So I'm glad no. you enjoyed your trip there with them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, it's, I mean, I'm surprised that that again you think sort of touch had um sort of uh, android devices mm. and things and have been around for so long now i mean i'm surprised that that isn't the way that i guess it's the cleaning element to it because i suppose you've got to wipe every single one down mm. between flights and things because it, it just seems a bit archaic these days that you pull out a, a oh. controller mm. and mm. Uh, and that i mean when you think everybody i mean most people's mobile phones are now touch screen and you know the one of the laptops here in the studio is touch screen well the emirates even on their 380s mm. they they have um the you know the IFE screens in yeah. the seat in front of you, and they have the pull out controller which comes yeah. out from the seat and with all the buttons and stuff on. Yeah. But funny enough, the screen is touch screen. Right so right. what you can do on here, you can also do on do a touch screen. So you right. could do away with the need for a pull out controller. Yeah. But the reason they have the controller right. is because it's got a lovely little credit card slot on the side, oh, and you can right. phone people yes, up yeah. when you're on board the aircraft, really? um, <laughs> which I haven't done. Um, that, no, no. I'm surprised. I'm surprised yeah. I haven't had a phone call from you while you've been <laughs> in the air just playing with all the toys. You have had a WhatsApp message though from me when because we had did I? Yeah, we had free. We like Emirates gave us free Wi-Fi in October last year. Oh, yeah, really? on board, mm-hmm. and it was actually quite fast as well, Rodney. The, the Wi-Fi was really good. Wow! And send pictures to your friends. Yeah, you're out, yeah, out the window. You know, yeah. this is the view from uh, thirty-seven thousand feet. Well, it is, it is that. Um, uh, Wouldn't that... it be too good in, in, in the air Taiwan going in? Here's the view from Taiwan. Or flying into the old Kai Tak airport yeah. with all the uh, buildings. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, dear, dear, dear. Okay, on to the uh, final news final story, story then. Uh, this is from travelmole.com, and the headline is UK flight passengers' uh, numbers more than double since the 1990s. Uh, passengers at UK airports have more than doubled since 1991, according to the Office for National T- Statistics um, report on how we travel. The UK perspective, um, how we travel article, claims the volume of passengers at UK airports rose from 95 million in 1991 to just under 230 million in 2013. Compared to 58 million passengers in 1980, uh, air passenger numbers in 2013 were almost four times greater. There were 72 million passengers at Heathrow Airport in 2013, an increase of 2 million from 2012 and uh, accounting for 32% of the total passengers at all UK airports. This was more than twice as many as Gatwick, the second largest UK airport at 35 million. Now, this is an unfair comparison, actually, isn't it? Because... Gatwick's only got one runway, hasn't it? And Heathrow's got two, Two, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, that. I mean, so really, to be, you know, not quite. um, The numbers are are far from an embarrassment, are they? Really, considering. I mean, they must. They're. I think we covered last week, didn't we? Their runway must be so efficient because they're not that far behind Heathrow, and they've only got. uh, I know you do tend to get if something goes wrong, you do tend to get diverted to Heathrow rather than. Gatwick, if there is a problem, mm. I think because they, they they have got more capacity on there. I think they're they're trying to get a second runway. I think yeah. they wanted to. Well, have been trying Gatwick. Gatwick. Yeah. Like a third runway, a third run, second yeah. runway, Gatwick, and yeah. all that. But the southeast England need, needs more. Yeah, mm. needs more runways, and yeah. there's always. We'll have to go forward. Boris Island and the Thames. Uh, <laughs> oh, Boris Island. Boris yeah. Island. I've not heard it called that before. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's one of the air- airports I'm yet to fly into or fly out of London mm. City Airport. Have you? Um, have City. You flown? Yeah. No, City is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Airport. Is it? Yeah. Is it? It's, it's, it's small. It, it can't expand very much because it's constrained by by being in the docks. Yeah. Uh, constrained by the uh, size of aircraft and to get in. Yeah. So therefore, the, the throughput is very, very quick. Uh, you can't no hanging around. Small people, they turn the airplane around very quickly. Yeah. Um, it's very efficient. Um, all the flights are expensive because of those reasons. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's right in the heart of the city as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. right in Docklands, yeah. yeah. Yeah, convenience and everything, I suppose, for, yeah. for, yeah, for best well, of it, business flights. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if, if you work in central mm. London, then it makes common sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's literally jump on the underground and, and you're wherever you want mm. to be, or, or the like, the DLR, as they call it, mm. and you can be wherever you want in no time at all. Yeah. Well, given the choice of all the airports around the UK then, uh, Rodney, what, what's your your personal sort of favourite airport to fly from for oh, services and... and uh, um, City Airport for the short haul, yeah. mm. I think, and uh, for the long haul, I, don't think, I think they're all as bad as each other. Gatwick or Heathrow, Terminal 5, trying try to queue to get on, on the flight. Oh, it's, secu- yeah. it's security that does it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. and that not and not being out of the hands of the airlines and hands mm. of the airports and border control and everybody wants input into security, mm. the cost, the provision thereof, it... Um, and, and of course, they're all trying to save pennies. Uh, yeah. Depends on the passengers. Mm. We end up with longer queues, and uh, yeah. and every any problems is each one department is blaming the other. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm, a, I'm 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 very sort of anti. I'm I'm very quite anti Luton Airport. Had a couple of very bad experiences, both me and Carl. Now, um, but the one thing I'm I can't take away from them actually is how efficient their security was. I was very surprised. And, yeah. and Derry Airport as well is another one that's very very efficient. You've got these, I, I guess, because it's a rural airport as well. But you've got so many people. Um, you know, they're, they're all going for that one flight, and you've only got two people. You, you don't you don't feel like you're waiting very long at these at some of them, but I mean it's better now. But I'm, last time I flew out of Stansted, 
and that was just terrific because it was uh, it was just while they were doing all their their alterations and they hadn't opened all the lanes yeah. and stuff yet and it was just terrible absolutely terrible anyway right so that was the last um, was. passenger and civilian aircraft yeah. type news stories for this week yeah. so we're going to we're going to cut straight into next the uh, military segment yep. okay um, and get those stories done and then we can have a a yes, good uh, discussion with yes, Rodney about his life because yes, yeah. I'm absolutely itching to hear yeah, about bet, uh, yeah, yeah. all the stories that Rodney's got for us. So yeah. uh, we're going to cut then straight to the military segment. Yep. So if everyone's ready. Yeah, certainly am. So we've got a couple of uh, military news stories then, mm-hmm. and the first one, Matt? Yeah, this is uh, on flightglobal.com, and the headline is Airbus advances A400M tanker testing. Airbus Defence and Space has tested the A400M's ability to simultaneously refuel a pair of combat aircraft in flight as it promotes the type's credentials for tactical tanker role. In the course of four flights, the A400M performed 74 contacts and dispensed 27.2 tonnes of fuel to two Spanish Air Force Boeing FA-18s. Uh, the Airbus has said the activity was conducted at altitudes between 20,000 and 33,000 feet and at airspeeds ranging from 180 knots, which is roughly 333 kilometres per hour. Uh, to 300 kt it adds describing the a400m as the most capable tactical tanker in the market the company says that the atlas will have the ability to transfer 34 tons of fuel while loitering for two hours some 500 uh, now what's nm somebody explain nautical miles nautical miles miles, thank you um (laughs) uh, away from its operating base its normal maximum fuel capacity is 50.8 tons but this can be increased with the installation of additional tanks inside its cargo hold airbus which is offering the a400m refueling capability uh, in addition to its baseline aircraft application faces competition in the tactical tanker market from Lockheed's Lockheed Martin's KC-130J. The US model is operational with the US Marine Corps and the Air Forces of Italy and Kuwait and has also been uh, offered by Saudi Arabia. Competition to both types will also come from Embraer's KC-390 which made its flight on its first flight on the 3rd of February an aircraft which we covered last week indeed yeah, yeah. so the 400M Rodney you've uh, you've seen this aircraft um, uh, wonderful aircraft yeah yeah, yeah. Um, saw this at uh, Farnborough and Riyadh as well through mm. the air, air tattoo um, done some pretty spectacular fly past this aircraft you know mm. the, the the moves they do with this aircraft when you think of the size and, and that, it's, it's a, it was amazing to see. It just, Air show techniques of, uh, for these events, they take all the fuel out, half the passengers out, they yeah. operate at <laughs> such a low weight that it can provide amazing performance yes. outside its normal flight envelope. Um, <laughs> but it's just, just, they, take, they unload it and uh, to make a good show for the, for the punters. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Did you see the uh, the 380, the, the test uh, bed 380 at Farnborough? It done the... Uh, the, yeah. the oh, Same blimey. thing, it had net, net, no fuel on board. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> just it enough was to do the exercise yeah. and be done with it. Yeah. When they when they took uh, took the... Um, well, they'd done it with the, the 400M, actually, um, mm. as well. They 
when they took off, they pulled the aircraft into such a steep climb. Really? And it was, you know, you, you would never do that with um, no. a load no, of passengers no. on. But no. uh, it's, it's, uh, it just it blows my mind for some reason, the thought that, that you've got this plane in the, and you can just fuel it up while it's up in the air. Mm. I mean, it's... It's a, very, um, you know, the training that involved with air-to-air yeah. fueling and that. Oh, it's, it, it, it's so exciting. If you're fl- fl- flying in the, in the TriStar... Um, uh, and looking out the window, yeah. the drones going behind you, and you can see these jets coming in. They wave at you, and you wave back at them, and you can watch them. Uh, wow. Watch them putting their uh, the nozzles in, and uh, okay, so off we go. Next one coming, it rolls away. Yeah. You look into the window. Here comes another one coming in. It, it's very dramatic in in real life to watch them watch the refueling in the air from inside the refueling tanker. Wonderful wow. experience. Oh, <laughs> you have to admire the skills of these guys. There, they yeah. are spot on, flying to half a knot. You know, just 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 getting it right in. <laughs> it's just, there's so, I mean, it's it is. There's so many things that could go wrong with an operation mm. like that. I mean, oh dear. No, it is very amazing to see. There's a video as well mm. um, for those of you. Uh, if you look on Flight Global's site, there is a video on here as well of um, the refueling, uh, test refueling with the F-18s. Mm. Um, which you can watch as well. If you go on the website, you'll be able to view the video. That's on yeah. YouTube as well. Yeah, fantastic. So the last story then uh, for the military segment yeah. was, is on the Royal Air Force site, the RAF yeah. site, and uh, it's about a story that we talked about a few episodes back now, mm. and it's about the exercise Red Flag, which is concluded now. And the world's most intensive air combat training exercise has concluded at Nellis Air Force Base in the USA. Over the course of the three-week red flag exercise, RAF Typhoon and Sentinel aircraft flew twice-daily sorties against complex air defences designed to mirror what they would expect to encounter on real operations against a near-peer adversary. Whilst airborne, they were given vital tactical information from radars and other sensors by aerospace battle managers from Number 1 Air Control Centre. For Group Captain Mark Chappell, Station Commander of RAF Lossiemouth, Red Flag is essential training, he said. The exercise continues to be the most challenging and rewarding training for all domains, and so while it has been hard work for everyone involved, it's also been worth uh, an effort worthwhile. Everyone has received unparalleled levels of training, and we are thus far better equipped for any future contingency which we may uh, be asked to support. During the Red Flag uh, Operation Typhoon, FGR-4 uh, multi-role fighters flew 150 sorties with each pilot deployed, taking the opportunity to gain experience of dropping one of the 25 Paveway 6 bombs. Uh, they're the precision-guided bombs used by the RAF on exercise. One of the uh, one squadron fighter Typhoon pilots was Flight Lieutenant Alec Palfreyman, who said the red flag was everything that he expected it to be and more. The way they pull all the elements together into one mission is something we can't do at home, and it's of great value to both the Typhoon force and personally with the 70-plus aircraft as well. Um, this is brilliant. Mm. The actual, uh, the, the whole concept of this the uh, training for this as well but joining the two air forces together the the, mm. uh, the US and the Americans it must have been you know one heck of a job to get everyone combined together uh, it, it is ab- absolutely amazing uh, I was in uh, Nellis Air Force Base during one of these exercises uh, and uh, at the uh, the post-flight debriefing when the Americans uh, uh, and the British the other forces 
and the computer technology showing on the big screen of which aircraft was where, which one was deemed to have won that particular scene, um, the 3D effects of, of how they recreate on screen what the pilots were trying to do in the air, and then score them, adjudicate them uh, as to who, who was winning and who was losing. Uh, uh, the, the, the computer technology coupled with the pilot's abilities is the most amazing uh, experience to watch. I bet. Wow, so you've flown in an LS Air Force base as well. <laughs> Uh, Blimey, this yes. is going to be good, I think. Yes, this, this one interview isn't going to be enough, is it? No, I think we'll have to have you back for another two hours, Rodney. Okay, so um, we're going to leave uh, the military segment in for yep. this week, and yeah, much, uh, we are going to come back to you after these few messages, yep. and uh, we're going to speak to Rodney. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> so, Rodney, once again, welcome into the studio. You've got uh, a wealth of... Um, information and knowledge from your uh, experiences to give us so uh, kicking off then uh, the first question we've got for you then um, is really about how your uh, how your passion for aviation started well that, that's uh, that's that's ridiculous really because i was sitting one day twiddling my thumbs in london with nothing better to do and um a friend of mine said let's go and have a joy flight at uh, luton so i went up to luton and it was uh, three pounds Ten shillings for a joy flight, but three pounds two and sixpence for a trial lesson. So it's cheaper to have a trial lesson than a joy flight. <laughs> so I, uh, so I saved the pennies and uh, and up I went for the joy flight and um, had the had the, uh, the trial lesson. Came down and said, "This is the thing for me." I signed for a course of lessons there and then. Six weeks later, I had my PPL. You only had to do thirty-five hours then. And two months after that, I had a Cessna 150 myself, and that was in 1967, and I haven't stopped since. Wow. Storm wow. started on impulse, just, just never, never intended to fly, just had one flight, and, uh, and it's bitten me for the rest of my life. <laughs> wow. So uh, some, of the, some of the things uh, that you've done in, in the course of your, um, your flying and stuff, you've done some quite monumental things, uh, flying around the world, um, sort of some of the sort of really most key things you've done, what, what, uh, what are they? Uh, well, um, we, fl- we flew right round the world on a route that hasn't been flown before, um, out through Armenia and Kazakhstan and Mongolia. Um, we've flown around uh, the sand dunes of Namibia and, and the elephants of the, of the Makadikadi Pans in South Africa. Um, we've flown in the, all the fast jets of the, of the um, of the Air Force and the uh, Jaguars and the Tornadoes um, and have competed for England in 
in international competition flights, precision flights and rally flying. And each year there are world championships in the art of precision flying, which is slow flying. So it's uh, everything from going along at seven, 70 knots to uh, a little bit faster, from hairy flights, engine failures, maydays. Uh, yeah, it's full, full of excitement <laughs> and, 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 and a 40-year adrenaline buzz. Oh, brilliant. So in 2009, um, you flew uh, a Piper PA32 uh, Delta Echo November Romeo Golf. Echo November Romeo Golf. That's a German-registered uh, Piper Saratoga. Yeah. And um, that be- belonged to a, a German. Uh, and he was looking for a co-pilot because he'd been invited to join um, a, a small group of 10 aircraft to fly right around the world. Um, by a never-before-flown route. The normal route goes through India and down that way. We decided that uh, we wanted to go um, uh, through the uh, up the Silk Road and ca- um, through uh, um, Kazakhstan and Armenia. Uh, so th- that was what we did. It took two years to plan. And once you leave Turkey, from the administrative point of view, there is no... Avgas and uh, our aircraft uh, won't fly on jet fuel, they need uh, aviation gasoline. So to solve this problem, uh, we bought 23,000 litres of fuel in Finland, put it on a boat to St. Petersburg, (laughs) and then hired eight lorry drivers and said, would you please be in Magadan on this date, that's in Siberia, uh, would you please be in um, Atyarau in uh, Kazakhstan on this state? And here is your bribe money. Of course, you bribe them too much, they go back to bed. If you bribe them not enough, they sell the fuel and go back to bed. Um, <laughs> uh, as it happened, it worked. And at each place, um, the, the, each step there of the fuel with these fuel in 200 litre drums, um, ready and waiting for us. So, but that, that took a lot of planning and. Uh, um, so that that was that was how we. Uh, so is there any the interesting uh, things happen on that particular uh, journey? Um, well, the, 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 I suppose the worst thing um, uh, was it was an engine failure, um, and uh, you know when the engine just goes very very quiet, um, a total engine failure. And if you're in Suffolk, you know you look down and you find a, a place of land and uh, and go, go and put it down on the nearest airfield. When you're in the Alaska Range of Mountains, with Mount McKinley just to the north of you, and you're 12,000 feet above the cloud, and all there is underneath you is cloud, and under the cloud are mountains, waters, and lakes, um, then the adrenaline does start to go. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a you know, wild, wild country, Alaska. There's absolutely nothing there at all. Mm. So um, you know, what one does is you press the, press the button and say, Mayday, 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 you know, and... Uh, mm. Total silence, you know, they weren't interested at all. So I'd, I tried once more to engine failure. And eventually we just got a laconic voice came back on the radio. Uh, uh, Roger, you're a uh, mayday. Same number of souls on board. So <laughs> oh, all they wanted to know is how many bodies they had to go <laughs> and look for. <laughs> what, what kind of crew's got to come and pick you up? Yeah, yeah that's all. How, 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 how much wreckage we got to find after the bear, <laughs> bears have eaten what they found. Um, Anyway, so so uh, um, I was in, I was in the, the, my leg to be in the right hand seat, and uh, the owner, the German, was in the left hand seat. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'll, I'll look after the navigation and, uh, um, and, and the situation, and you look after the engine. Mm-hmm. 
So he you know, pumped the throttle and changed the tanks and did everything you could possibly do. Did the did the, the mags on, the fuel on, the all the things, and not, and uh, not a peak came out of it. Which time we were into the cloud, and and um, uh, there was nothing. Uh, um, fortunately, we came out of the cloud. And there, there, there were the mountains. Uh, my GPS had a, a a nearest function, and it said you know, about six miles ago there was a, a small strip. So we headed off for that, and this we found, found the source strip. It was 600 meters long, which is not long enough for a heavily loaded Saratoga. Mm. Um, and uh, just 20 yards wide, it's a little strip in the in, in the jungle. Um, so then you know, we called on the radio again. Not not a peep, you know. Every time we got we got below the mountains, uh, below the range, and, uh, and the snow, snow the snow was on the top, and it was sort of murky. Um, eventually found the strip, and then, then the decisions start, you know, oh dear, oh dear, um, shall we land, which way is the wind, shall we land this way or that way? Uh, you're going down nearly 900 foot a minute at this time. Goodness uh, me. Shall we, I think, we'll leave, we'll let, leave the undercarriage up and, and, and belly crash it down and, 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 and just slide to the end and, uh, and try and live that way. <laughs> but they look coming close around and said, no, look, the, the, uh, the strip looks fairly fairly reasonable. Um, I think what we'll do is put the, put the undercarriage down and bang it down really, really, really hard at the beginning, smash the nose wheel and slide to the end and, and just sort of stop before the end. Um, so tightened up seat belts and, uh, and of course as you came round onto final, I can still see the, the, still see the day, you know, the, the hills to the right and, and too high. And as you've just done your solo, you've probably learnt already um, the little technique of uh, a side slipping. You've got yeah, too yeah. much height, so we, we were too high. So a bit of left wing down, hard in with the right rudder. Just had, had to sort of get it right down. And, and I think that the, the round was coming up so fast, the engine was so quiet, and uh, so I, I was flying it. And I said, "Right, well, this is it, bon chance." And that just slammed it hard down at the beginning of the runway, as hard as we possibly could, and slammed on the brakes, um, and, and the nose wheel held. And uh, we, we, we got to the end, uh, I think we got 20 metres, 25 metres short of the end. Uh, and um, <clears throat> we were intact. We had survived. Uh, where, where, the, where were we? Um, yeah. uh, what on earth are we doing in the middle of, middle of, um, middle of Alaska? There's absolutely nothing here at all. Yeah. We got out of the plane and kicked it and said, what the fuck? What the, what's, what's, what, 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 what's the matter with you? What, what, is, what is the matter with this dear little aeroplane? Yeah. Um, or worse to that effect. Worse yes. to that effect. And after about five minutes, a little fat, fat, fat along came a, a chap in a quad bike. He said, what are you doing here? I said, well, you heard, he said, we, he knew what we were doing here. He said, we heard your aircraft in trouble. Yeah. And um, so we, we, we thought, you know, we wondering where it's going to crash, but yeah. we, found, we found you here. How are you? So we said, fine, fine, fine. They said, well, um, welcome survived. Um, okay, where are we? Well, would, 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 would you care for a drink? Yes, please. So, so, yes, please. So hop on the back of my quad and we'll get a drink. So we're bumbling along the back of the runway where we push it in all the marks, the skid marks and things, and uh, off the end of the runway, down, 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 down through the woods and the trees. And suddenly we came to a clearing by a lake. And we had fallen slap into the uh, airstrip of the largest, the oldest, by far the way, the most expensive hunting lodge in the whole of Alaska. <laughs> uh, and there were these Americans all, all, all there to shoot the deer and the 
and the sheep and whatever else they shoot up there. Um, living in, in, in the Luke style with champagne bars, $15,000 a week to sit there and, uh, and uh, go in. Totally remote. I mean, there's no way to get there. have horses there for people that want to go and uh, um, hunt their caribou or their sheep <laughs> on horseback. And it's so remote, they can't even get the horses there. They, they, they killed a couple of horses, unfortunately, once trying to ride them there because yeah. of the water. So now they air freight the horses in, 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 into wow. this remote strip. And, and this is the only, the only little landable place um, within 100 miles in any direction. And it just happened to be right underneath, well, yeah. within five miles of where the engine failed. And, 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 and they found, um, when we found it, we obviously go back, uh, um, it was contaminated fuel. Really? And uh, the, mm. uh, the, the fuel, um, we'd survived all this fuel I mentioned that we'd bought in Finland and mm. had been studying in, in um, tanks and uh, opening the tanks and pumping it from, uh, from the tanks into the aircraft yeah. all the way. Um, and the first real proper fuel we got uh, was after landing, first landing in, um, in America, in Nome, wow. uh, having crossed over from Siberia. Um, so at last, at last, at last, we got some real, real fuel and shoved it up with the, the tanker. Yeah. And that was the fuel that we, we drained the bottom of that tanker with 10 aircraft. We drained it and, and, and put, put the rest of the fuel in. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just brown gunge, it gunged up the, uh, the gas collator, gunged up the whole, whole fuel system. Um, and, and we're complete, completely stuck with, with, with bad American fuel, having landed in America. Uh, and so we, was, we, were, we were stuck there, uh, <clears throat> you know, in uh, considerable luxury. Yeah. Uh, uh, exactly. If you're going to crash land, then, then somewhere with a champagne bar, I think, is very much the way no, forward. <laughs> no, it was absolutely wonderful. And, and we'd planned to have a, a, a aircraft to have been maintained, maintenance all expensive. Yeah. We planned to have a 50 hour check in yeah. um, the next stop, which was uh, Anchorage, Alaska. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, we called the guy in Anchorage and uh, said, well, um, we're, we're stuck here, we're broken down and um, we're stuck at this uh, ranch, this, this desert camp, this mountain yeah. camp. And he said, no problem. Well, uh, he jumped into a Cessna 180, a, a, a short field aircraft uh, yeah. with uh, um, a good performance, weight, weight carrying and mm. uh, short field. He says, I'll, I'll, I'll pop up tomorrow um, with that and my tool bag and see if we can sort so you out. So I, I sort of retired, retired back to bed and ordered another bottle of champagne and, and let him uh, <laughs> right, yes. and, and let, let him get on with it. And he, yeah. he came and dismantled the entire fuel system um, and uh, you know, produced souvenirs of all this uh, uh, photographs of yeah. uh, uh, this disgusting brown gunge that he pulled out of it. Gosh. And eventually he, he cleared it. Uh, he cleared it and ran the engine up and uh, um, and, and that was it. We couldn't. Uh, couldn't escape, so we uh, had too much weight to take it for yeah. a short, such a short strip. So we loaded um, every single thing out of the out of our plane in, into his plane, um, then pushed the airplane right to the very, 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 very back of the runway yeah. to get the maximum amount of runway available. To, to take off, unloaded everything, and uh, and uh, opened it as, as you said you were doing on your first uh, solo. Stood on the brakes, uh, rolled on the throttle, put all, all three hundred horsepower. Um, uh, and just got off the end because it was designed for little, little hunting aircraft, and uh, so, so, so we escaped to live to live the day. Um, and, well, I mean, uh, what, what went through your mind at that minute when you just sort of thinking, you know, are you literally thinking, is this it? Or, or... well, yeah, that's what it's always said. But no, you're if, if you say this is that, it means you're sort of giving up on life, right? You know, um, yeah. right, is it this bag, is it that bag that 
Yeah. By the time you've done this, that's another thousand foot you've lost. You're, you're yeah. getting down yeah. about nine hundred foot a minute, yeah. uh, and then then May Day, and then you're working the GPS. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm so, so busy concentrating on um, flying the aircraft uh, and, and navigating. Uh, and I never been bothered to put my lap strap. I had a crash. And if you're thinking, you know, what, what's going to happen? We're going to die. Let, let, let's yeah. do this. And, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, um, so I, uh, too much going on almost. Yeah. And um, I didn't didn't well, they point to, but didn't turn the fuel off because there wasn't yeah. any fuel. Didn't any bags or anything. So we, yeah. no, we just just but the engine just stopped and the propeller stopped and uh, and, and and we just so we you you're so busy concentrating what you have to do. Yeah. Am I, should I extend the downwind a bit further? If I if I get if I extend the downwind any further, uh, and then I turn in and I'm short, then I'm stuffed. Yeah. If I turn in earlier and I'm high, that then that, then then I can uh, um, side slip, uh, do S turns, yeah. uh, and manoeuvre. But this is all, all you know. Having part of my competition life is doing precision landings, spot landing competitions. I go all over the world doing spot landing competitions. And I've probably put more, done more glide approaches than anybody else put together. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's a very competitive world, spot landing world. And um, yeah, you, you you do learn to put it down with the two or three meters away where you want to go, and all that sort of training. And uh, which I feel all, all pilots, private pilots, should uh, keep in the in the habit of uh, practicing engine failures. There's so much to do. And, yeah, uh, I know I do. Do yeah. pretty much. So, yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Just assume it's going to be stopping. And um, yeah, the afato drill. That's what. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and when it does stop, uh, you know, the, the, the practice and the training just kick straight in. And instead of worrying at your question, what were you feeling? You feeling is this the end? Am I going to die? Have I written yeah. my will out? How are my kids or whatever? Yeah. Whatever. You know. <laughs> you uh, no, no, no time for any of that. No. You know? <laughs> You've got to concentrate on. Uh, so on, you, on, I mean, on the now. You alluded, alluded to it there just a moment. And just tell us a little bit about the British Precision Pilots Association, because I think you're the, the vice chairman, I think, of. Chairman, yeah. Uh, of chairman. Yeah, I'm sorry, my, my apologies. Uh, you sort of alluded to that. So, what, what, what is that that all about? Is that. Um, yeah, I can talk about that for hours. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, what, what does that entail? I mean, obviously, you've, you've said you've done a lot of pre- uh, precision uh, flying. Mm. Um, what, what exactly is that uh, for you, that position for you? Um, Precision, precision flying is a, a FAI, Federation Aviation International, FAI International Sport. Yeah. And every year there are world championships in precision flying. And um, this year it's going to be in Denmark. There'll be 23 or 24 countries, each sending four or five pilots. And uh, they spend a week competing internationally. Um, and the, uh, the way it works is that uh, you're given a map with four or five turning points six or seven leg leg chart uh, and uh, you have to calculate the heading the wind and the ground speed you then fly this route to within an accuracy of one tenth of a knot in other words when you get to turning point one if you're four seconds behind schedule you're out of the running Really? You've lost, you know. It, the, the, win, the winners are all within two seconds of, of, of each turning point. In order to maintain that uh, speed and that accuracy, um, you fly your aircraft, and if the wind changes by five knots, you've got to notice that right. and adjust your speed by five knots. Otherwise, you'll be early or be late. Right. Suddenly, the wind, the wind picks up, a bit of tailwind picks up, you're going to be early unless you put a bit more flap down to. Uh, um, to maintain the speed to hit the hit the, um, the the timing point at the end, so we're not um, worrying about being on time. Mm. Then you've got to worry about being on track. Right. And if you're more than um, three hundred meters 
not very far to the left of track or the right of track. It just the wind just drifted you across. You're looking at your map, and you suddenly you pass the church, mark the map past the church steeple on the right, and so the church steeple on the left. So you've got to be past the right, the correct side of the church. You, you get, get uh, you lose lose you lose points and seconds for that. And then when you're not uh, busy doing that, they give you in advance um, seven or eight photographs which are taken of maybe small trees, cottages, uh, little buildings, small ponds, which happen to be on the route. Uh, and if you've got a couple of trees, a photograph a couple of trees, uh, on your route you'll probably find 10,000 trees. Yeah. Uh, is, is that this tree, is that this tree, memorise the trees, looking out of the window, am I on track, am I on time? Is it this tree, that tree? And when you, if you identify these trees, you've then got a mark on the map exactly yeah. where they are. Is it before that road or after that road? So you've got, got to identify and find these photographs, mm. then got a mark on the map where they are while you're on time, yeah. while you're on track. When you're not doing that, you haven't got enough to do, they hide on the ground white canvas signs, like a pie sign or a triangle. Um, uh, uh, it, it made a white canvas and they yeah. put those behind a hedge somewhere. So um, if, you're, if, you, if you're on time and if you're on track and if you're lighting at the window, you're not looking at a photograph of a tree, <laughs> you might look on the ground and, and, and find a white triangle. Right. And there's about eight or nine white triangles, be ten photographs, and you've got to be at each place um, within two or three seconds where you're supposed to be. So, and all you have, of course, no GPS allowed. All, all you have is just just just, just the map, a one to two hundred fifty thousand chart, or a one to two hundred thousand chart, and, and a stopwatch. Um, that's all you've got. So, so when you uh, and it's very <laughs> And then when, when 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 you've done all that, then there is the as I mentioned uh, in the uh, about the, uh, the flying. Hmm. The spot landing competition, and they uh, you have to do four landings, four spot landings. Um, a couple of one is a normal one, then they make you do a glide approach, a simulated engine failure from a thousand foot um, to, to, you know, to land on the meter, and the next one they simulate an engine and an electrical failure. <laughs> so you have to do a glide approach without any flaps to land on the mark, and the judges all the way along the line. Uh, uh, lines along the, across the runway every one metre so that they can measure by uh, video evidence exactly where you land to the nearest metre. Um, and so it's highly comp competitive, you know, he, he, was he was five metres too, only he was doing four metres long, you know, and, uh, and, and, and appeals. So this, this happens every year um, at an international level. And within this country, um, uh, many times a year, there's regional competition, just, just one club against another club. Yeah. And uh, in my club at Beckles, we have one um, every year. And anybody comes along and they're given the map and they, 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 they go around the fly. They have a data logger in the back of the aircraft yeah. so that that, uh, that uh, you hand that in on landing and, and the computer tells you where, where you were, what time you got there, how far off track you went, where you went wrong. Um, and the map uh, will, will tell you how many photographs you saw and, uh, and how many white canvas markers you saw. So that that, that is the essence of... Uh, Precision flying, um, wow. and I've been doing this, uh, uh, representing England in, in in the Precision Championship every year since nineteen eighty four. So they've been in America, they've been in Chile. I've got a Chilean life in Argentina, New Zealand, America. Wherever this year, I said it's going to be Denmark. Are you, are you going this year to yeah, Denmark? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. Going, to, going, going to represent England, and in, 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 uh, there'll be four or five pilots from England going, going along. We never win; the poles always win. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the true nature of British sportsmanship, we are we we, we go. Uh, <laughs> Quite right. 
So the, 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 the Poles and the Czechs um, treat it rather as a high priority national sport, mm. and they, they, they fund it to enormous amounts of money. Mm. And they give their 50 pilots and they give them money to, to fly. If we don't fly 50 hours in a month, they will take your plane away. Um, well, we, <laughs> anybody would like to please come and, uh, uh, and have a go. And, uh, but no, we, we, uh, yeah, we, we do all right. We, yeah. we, we hope to come maybe fifth or sixth in the world um, as, as a team. Uh, so that's our target, you know, and uh, um, in the, you know, we're always happy in the top 10 countries, but we try to be fifth or sixth. Is it is it just European countries or is there American or Oh, Australian? no, um, um, America hasn't been for a long time. Mm. Um, New Zealand comes uh, quite often. Uh, South Africa always comes. Mm. Um, it's open to the world. Um, and host countries where, where I've been to fly to represent England have been in South Africa, foreign ones apart from uh, in European um, South Africa, Chile. Argentina, twice in America, once in New Zealand, twice in South Africa, um, and uh, all, all every European country has hosted one, and we haven't done one in England since about 1980. We haven't got the infrastructure, number of people um, willing to support us. So if anybody would like to uh, get involved, yeah. um, help the sport, yeah. come and fly, learn to compete, um, and as I explained, it is it required no skills apart from what you have learned by the time you got there. All you learn is, is, is a Cessna 150 is the perfect aircraft. Mm. No GPS, nothing, uh, nothing you, you, you ever, no, no expensive aircraft. Cessna 150 and, and, and basic, basic, basic PPL skills are all that required. That's your next project then, by the sound of it, Carl. Blimey, <laughs> it's a, it's enough learning what I am now with all the exams and everything. Yeah. I think I'll I'll just nail the uh, PPL first, and then right. uh, we'll we'll try some precision stuff. Com later competition on. pilot, competition later. pilot later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have to uh, yeah. secure some extra funds from the wife. I think yeah, yeah for that for yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you've said um, when, you, when we contacted you to come on the show, you, you said in uh, in one of your messages you you, were, you had a, a chasing uh, part of the one of your trip, trips. You were sort of chased across um, America. Oh yes, that was hilarious. Um, what happened was when, when you're travelling east around the world, each day more or less you push the clock forward uh, as you as you go as you go go Sorry. east. And when you get the, as far as you can possibly go, which is uh, Anadia, in the uh, um, very, very far end of Siberia, um, then the next step is to go to Nome, Alaska. And this time you put the clock three hours forward, but you take a day off. <laughs> right. So um, I talked on the phone, of course, to the, um, from, from, from on, my, on my satellite phone from Russia to the customs man in in Nome, Alaska, and he was absolutely on song, so we filled all the paperwork in and the computers, um, and he was on song. We landed there, which was just after midnight when we landed on in American time, um, and he was more than friendly and welcomed us all, and uh, that was absolutely lovely. Um, and then uh, we flew from there to Seattle, and between Anchorage and Seattle, after we prepared the, prepared the aeroplane, we had two more failures, and eventually we got to Seattle, and I find the flight plan to take off from Seattle to go to Oshkosh, and the great Oshkosh uh, show, and, and, and we had a slot with the Smithsonian Institute to welcome the round-the-world flyers who were coming in. To, we had a slot to arrive in Oshkosh yeah. um, on, on the midday on the second day of Osh uh, thing, and the, and the Smithsonian were going to talk to us all and all that, everything like that. And um, the reason that my aircraft was late 
because I explained that catering off from this dirt strip in Alaska, opened the throttle full bore uh, to take off, and the propeller damaged the uh, the icing boots on 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 the on the tailplane. Right. Um, it was just blowing up all that gravel, but we needed to get off, yeah. so we were delayed while they, while they fixed it in okay. Seattle. Yeah. So I, I found the flight plan, uh, and the man was filing and said, uh, um, "Hold on, sir. Hold on. Are we oh, one moment, sir?" And um, the, this is the. Uh, um, man from the Department of Homeland Security would like to, uh, a word. So I said, hello, hello, hello. Yes, sir, you are um, an illegal alien. You should not be in this uh, country. And <laughs> your flight plan is cancelled and you are staying on the ground there and you are not moving. Oh, my goodness. Um, until we have regularised your, whatever they say in jargon. So, uh, no, I, 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 I moaned, I appealed, and uh, eventually... Uh, a lot of arguing said, well, no, I'll report you to the Smithsonian and I, yeah. I am a very important person and all the rest of it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he said, well, sir, all right, well, we'll, well just this once, we'll have a compromise. Uh, and uh, we needed a night stop between Seattle and Oshkosh, mm. um, which is going to be, um, I've forgotten now, it's an airstrip, mm. a big, major airport. Yeah. And uh, we'll, I will tell the Homeland Security um, to meet you there, and they'll process you into the country, and uh, uh, and you'll be situation will be regularised, and this this will be so we said, so we accepted that and took off. Then we worked out the timing, so we were going to get there at about half past ten at night. It'd be a night landing, hell of a day, yeah. uh, to be met by by the fuzz uh, yes. uh, and uh, <laughs> night in jail. Uh, yeah, 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 couldn't take it. So I said, "No, we're not going to do that. We're going to escape." <laughs> um, so we were on an Airways flight plan out of out of yeah. out of, um, out, of uh, out of Seattle, yeah. um, climbing up over the Rockies and uh, working Seattle approaches Seattle Airways. So I said, "How the hell do you escape from the uh, from the uh, um, <laughs> from, from Homeland from, Security?" Yes, from Homeland Security. We're going to do. So we'll do, so we'll do, take it in stages. Stage one, we'll get up, we'll, we'll cancel our IFR plan and continue VFR. <laughs> so we called call Seattle and said, no, the, the weather's fine. We don't need IFR. We'll, we'll continue VFR. Yeah. So it's okay. Your, your, your airways plight is cancelled this sort of time. Continue VFR. Change frequency to a uh, uh, another VFR um, channel. So we did that and then crossed over the Andes down the other side, over, over the Rockies down the other side. Um, and we got it going into Montana and, and uh, changed three more controllers after that and uh, flight following. And eventually I said, look, there's an airfield down there. Um, I, I think we're going to uh, just pop in there. So we said, uh, just, we're going to, uh, don't require flight following any longer. We'll just continue VFR without flight plan, without following. So okay, good night. Um, <laughs> didn't tell him where we're going. Yeah. Didn't know, just said we're going. And so I said, there's an airfield there. We popped down in there. A place called Mile City, Montana, wow. and uh, getting late. A taxi man picked us up, fueled us up, yeah. absolutely marvelous, and uh, no problem. Took us into a um, into the town. I said, "What happens in Mile City? What on earth? What? It's a dump. There's nothing here. Absolutely nothing." Well, also in the summer, all the guys come on here with their guns because round the corner there was the nearest place to the Little Bighorn, and they all come along and play shooting General Custer. Um, so that, that so we. Uh, and then we had to, had to get airborne, had to catch up all the rest of the team to make our slot arrival next morning to Oshkosh. Yeah. So we needed a, a, a taxi at, um, at 7, so the taxi driver said, we'll, we'll see you at 7 o'clock here. Yeah. Um, that'd be fine. So we were there at half past 6, quarter to 7, um, 
wearing our round the world t-shirts, around the world flight caps, you know, and we're, we're British around the world and all the rest of it. And the lovely girl, she's gorgeous, behind the bar, um, reception, saying we've paid the bill. Said, where's the taxi? Where's the taxi? You know, we, we, we've, got, we've got to go. We've got to meet the Smithsonian. We've got, we've got to get a washcash. And he said, not here. I'll tell you what, I'll get, I'll get my hubby out. You know, you know right. hubby came out, pick up truck. And he would stand. And there, as we were standing talking to her, into the car park, rolled this massive great Department of Homeland Security oh, no. and two guys Homeland Security. They'd found us. Wow. Uh, oh, my God. We, we, we are in Stuck. Now, yeah. we, we, they've chased us to here. They, they've tracked us all the way across. And, and they've actually yeah. found out on radar where we'd land. They found us. And they're walking in. So I sort of took my hat off and put it over my round the world. Yeah. Dashed out <laughs> round the back. Jumped into the back of this chap's, uh, the husband's uh, pickup truck. Yeah. No, roared to the airport. Get going in the homeland. We, uh, we were going to the airport with a homeland security guy. Was going in to knock on the door. And I speak to the girl. We, we just said goodbye to. <laughs> and uh, so we absolutely fled like mad. And... Um, Fortunately, we'd fueled up before, jumped into the airplane, pressed the button, and off we went, full bore. And um, we just caught up the guy 10 miles short of Oshkosh, uh, where there were 10,000 aircraft on the ground. It's a, we have yeah. done a story about it, Oshkosh, which is the most amazing, amazing yeah. site. And uh, we had a, a sticker off of the window, you know, FAI round the world flight, we're given a special parking area and interviews yeah. and all the rest of it. And, um, and uh, there was the Homeland Security, you know. And, uh, oh, no. And, and uh, um, they sort of said, well, wh wh where have you been? Said, well, nowhere. Well, where, where have you been? We're delighted to help you. And, uh, yeah. um, but they, then they chased us to the hotel and uh, eventually caught us up. But uh, um, we, would have been, we would have been still in Alaska or, or well, not Alaska. We'd have been in Canada or, or stuck in the middle yeah. in, in there. But we were being fa fairly well chased around and... Uh, yeah. We survived, and what a oh, what an oh, amazing what story! story. Yeah, yeah. Oh blimey, uh, listeners are going to love this. Yeah, yeah they really are. Um, to going back to Oshkosh, that's that is one something that we, we you know we've talked about, and a lot of the the other guys who do a similar sort of show to us, a podcast in America, they talk about Oshkosh as uh, Oshkosh as well. Um, compared to sort of Farnborough and Riyadh in this country, what 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 is Osh the difference with Oshkosh? A factor of uh, uh, you know, probably 50. Mm. Um, there are 10,000 aircraft there. Um, uh, the, 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 so the, the, we'll have now a fly past of the Harvards. There'll be 40 of them. Um, there's a village for the microlights, a village for the warbirds, a village for the Harvards. Um, the indoor uh, sales areas for you know, sporting pilot shop. Yeah. Uh, um, seminars going all the time by Lycoming Continental on engine management. Uh, seminars by um, scale composites uh, on uh, plastic aircraft, uh, fi fiberglass manufacturing techniques, mm -hmm. advice, um, the constant air share going on um, the whole, whole time, or the American family affair, the hamburgers, and the, uh, and uh, you really have to spend a week there. We there I was there for three whole days, three days, uh, walking, walking, and... Um, in fact, the trains have, have little, 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 little trains yeah. to take you from one area to the other. They're just, they're just, just so, yeah. so large, and and we're there three days. You've probably only seen half, half, three quarters of it. It, wow. it, it is absolutely, and, and the atmosphere, it's, it, it's, it's like right, like the Mildenhall show, um, mm. where everybody's really family orientated. Yeah. You leave mm. your wallet exactly. lying around, you leave money lying around. There's ten thousand yeah. people there, and, and yeah. somebody left just dropped a dollar bill. It, yeah. it is absolutely an amazing atmosphere. Mm. Uh, a, a, People all there for the same reason. Basically, oh yeah, and they, I mean, they, they I, several several thousand aircraft, 
Probably, yeah, thousand uh, yeah. Cap, people camping under the wing, lined up all the tents under the wing, t tents and tents and tents mm -hmm. of uh, people just living there for a week. Yeah. And the, um, the approach, um, the radio is too complex, the radio, you have the holding pattern about 10 miles out, mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're looking at you with the um, binoculars, uh, and you have uh, a 20-page note out to work out where you're supposed, how you're supposed to go. And they say, you know, uh, Piper, yellow Piper, waggle your wings. And you, yeah. nice wiggle, sir, nice wiggle, yeah. nice yeah. wiggle, sir. Um, runway two, three, land on the blue dot. And uh, on runway two, three, there will be a green dot, for say, at the threshold and a blue dot halfway up. And so the first aircraft will, will land on, on the threshold and turn off short. The second one overfly that one and land on that one. And they're often using two runs, two runways at the same time. Oh, um, uh, and it's all, all, all done. Just one, there's one radio called low, low Wing, Land on the Blue Dot, and uh, um, the volunteers are after marshal you everywhere. But the aircraft are just coming, just like that all the way. Two, two, two flights. If you're under under 110 knots, you fly at 800 feet. If you're over over 100 knots, you fly at 130 feet. Fly at 1,300 feet. And they say, yeah, you'll overtake the Cessna in front and you'll land up in front of him. No, you'll, you'll, they're, they're, absolutely, they're all looking at you on binoculars about 10 miles out. And you, and you all orbit 10 miles out and just pick a slot of your, at your height, whatever speed you're at. You're, we were 130 knot speed, so we, we, we said, well, we'll got to set this height and watch the other 130 knot and slot behind him. They'd overtake all the slower ones. Uh, and they're sitting on hills with their binoculars and telling each aircraft that when identify them, yellow, yellow Piper Cub, Rock Your Wings or Blue, Blue Cessna. Um, uh, uh, and, and they sort you, sort you in, and, and marshalers attacks you everywhere. Marsh, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Wow. It's, got be, it's got to be done. It's got to be done once in a lifetime. It, it, sound, it sounds like um, it's one of those. It's an air show where people turn up in 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 aircraft rather than cars. Oh, well, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's a fly in. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yes. I mean, yes. Oh, yes. You, you fly in. Wow. Can't, yeah. can't uh, wait and, to uh, take me there, but yes, it's. You've never seen so many so many aircraft on the ground to go. Oh, I've got photographs of uh, mm. aerial photographs. It was coming into land, just the size of the size of the airplane park of uh, um, and and, uh, and and exhibits uh, and and the home built uh, uh, that are on display there. There's anything to do with aviation, you'll you'll see, and uh, people are more than willing to stop and talk to you and chat with you, uh, and to give a hugely friendly welcoming to, well, particularly us as foreigners. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's a must do. Bucket, bucket item. Bucket, bucket item, yeah. 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 Definitely, yeah. definitely. So um, is there any more interesting stories you've got for us then, uh, Rodney, about any other experiences you've had of uh, flying at all? Oh, I bet you've got you've got quite a few actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah lots. Um, what uh, aircraft-wise? What have you got yourself at the moment? What's uh, what's your uh, personal well, I, I, personal I, use? I, one? My, my my personal charger, I think, is probably the very the finest, the best Cessna one seven two in the country. In that it's very very old. It's nineteen sixty four Cessna one seven two, which used to have a, a very weak and feeble. Um, Continental 145 bar six six cylinder engine, uh, and I've got rid of that. And Cessna then put 150 horsepower in, and later on they put 160 horsepower in, but I put 180 horsepower in mine. So it's a very light, very old aircraft with 180 horsepower in, in the engine. I then put the latest uh, avionics in it, so it has the um, a GTN 650, which mm -hmm. is the state-of-the-art touchscreen airways uh, mm -hmm. avionics system. Um, it's got oxygen, 
uh, I fitted into the into the wing wing tanks um, internal internal into the wing tips uh, extra fuel tanks. Um, so I've now got seven seven hours endurance uh, with, that, with that engine that that um, oxygen. Uh, <clears throat> I can now take off, climb straight to twelve thousand feet, um, and uh, and go non-stop to Cannes in the airways oh, in, yeah. in, in a forty-year-old one seventy-two. Um, so it's uh, it, it's you know, got got autopilot oxygen, extra fuel tanks, airways. It's um, fair to say it's fuel. been upgraded then. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, for, you know, for a little little old Cessna one seven two. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's a rotten airplane, I suppose you can say, and that it does everything badly. Yeah. <laughs> as explained you know, for for um, precision flying, mm. a Cessna one fifty is the best. It's smaller, it's lighter, it's easier to manoeuvre. Yeah. One seventy is a bit lumbering, mm. and if you want to go to South of France, or um, I've taken mine to. Uh, to Petra, to Jordan. Last year I went to Helsinki in it, mm. um, St. Petersburg. Um, and it is very, very slow to go for a long-range touring aircraft. Mm. You know, if you want, want to go all the way to South Africa, you get 110 knots, um, it's rather slow. So it's not, not a very good tour, but it'll do it. It's not a very good precision spot landing aircraft, but it'll do it. So it, it does everything badly, but nothing, but it's, yeah. it's a compromise aircraft. Yeah. That will, will take, but you can do everything yeah, that you take, want take, to do. It'll yeah. take, take, me to, take me to Copenhagen non-stop, you know, take me to Cannes non-stop. Yeah. Um, and, and get down, get down low and dirty, and, and, and do precision landing competitions. Yeah. Oh. So one of the um, one of the last questions I've got to ask you um, uh, before we before you round up the show. Um, you're talking obviously earlier. We're talking about you doing the round the world um, trips and stuff in all these different countries. One of the things that uh, we've sort of learned and what I've, what I've learned over the years is that, that when you do these particular trips, you can't just fly into these countries willy nilly. You have to go through certain Channel. Ask permission and channels and stuff. Is that, is that right? I'm thinking. Uh, <clears throat> you can go anywhere anywhere in, into uh, Europe now. It starts to get uh, more complicated once you get out. Uh, I've been a couple of times you now to Luxor and uh, into to Egypt and, and Morocco in the Cessna, and you've got to get uh, advance permission. You have mm. to have a clearance number. And it's it, 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 they're, they're very very strict upon it in Egypt. You, you sort of come across and uh, leave leave leave, um, leave Crete, heading on your way, and they say, "What is your clearance number?" And you find a bit of paper. It's Charlie one four five three. And if you, if, if you missed missed one number wrong, they, they, they turn you around. And they say, "What? what they, you have also a military clearance, haven't you? Where's your military clearance number? Oh, I haven't got one of those. You should have. Well, I haven't. Oh." All right then, we'll carry on. You know, you don't know whether, whether, whether they're going to uh, send you back, whether they're going to come, yeah. come and get you. But uh, you have to have, have have clearances and general declarations and uh, um, a lot of paperwork and red tape. Um, the, 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 the further away you go, both east and south, um, south into Africa or east into uh, beyond beyond the EU, uh, um, their politics, bribery. Red tape. Um, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Depending uh, on which part of the world you're in. Yes, I mean, obviously, most people say I've never, the implant I've never flown through is, is India, but I've gone around the top um, through Siberia and Mongolia. I mean, Mongolia was lovely, but unfortunately, yeah, they're expensive Mongolia. But, mm. uh, but to be to be, to be in Mongolia and eat, 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 the, eat, eat the horse's milk and uh, and, uh, <laughs> and and drink. Um, the food there, and the living in yurts, uh, uh, and listening to their tales of pre-Soviet occupation, and how they were part part of Russia, and, and how they out of Mongolia, in Mongolia, separated out, 
uh, and uh, that's charming, lovely people, all warriors and uh, um, shepherds. And, and flying, you fly over Mongolia, where, where you're seeing things that nobody, but nobody's ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the men on their horses, they, they can notice this much. Yeah. The men in the jumbo jets, they can't see much. No. But if you're just cruising the mountains, fly, flying a thousand feet AGL um, above ground level, you're you're saying things that no, with no no nomad has been, yeah. no, no, no pilot has been there. With only only light just has been there in a hundred years practically. Mm. Well, nobody's been there. And the same in Siberia. Um, I pressed my button on my GPS, and it says knit the nearest village, mm. uh, and they produced tiny villages. Mm. Said so nothing within two hundred miles, <laughs> zero, nothing, nothing. <laughs> really? Uh, and and, and we, we we flew for eight hours, but that was another, I nearly died that flight. That was a horrible flight. That was. That was probably the nearest flight to death we ever did this flight. Mm. Um, uh, but there was nothing underneath. No road, no railway, no village, no house. Nothing. Except a lot of mosquitoes and things. And, or bidges, mm. But no, it's a vast, vast tract of Siberia, um, of the Far Eastern republics, mm. um, where, where there is absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. So, um, so of all the places you've flown to and the airports and things, do you have a favourite airport that you've... Uh... Are you a mind reader? Yeah, well, I was about to ask that. <laughs> but, I mean, where's where's, the, where's yeah. the most favourite place oh, you... Oh, sorry. Out of where, all, out of all the place? countries you've flown to, all these amazing countries you've flown to, what, what stands out as the, the, the one that... Um, the one you've been to. Your favourite. Yeah. Um, well, there's a restaurant, Stellenbosch, um, <laughs> in, 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 uh, in South Africa. Um, I think the lovely airport in the Czech Republic at Karlovy uh, which used to be called Carlsbad, which is an old spa town, uh, and uh, the, the river runs right right down inside it, and all these uh, um, 18th century multicoloured buildings uh, uh, of houses and palaces that line the river, and uh, there's hot water and cold water and spa temperature where we're drinking the spa water. It's just a beautiful town mm. there, and that's a regular stop on the way on the way way to the east. Uh, of course, Beckles, being local, must probably one of the finest airports in the world. <laughs> um, the food there is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Rain... an excellent hot dog. I'm quite I'm, sure. Is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Rain will appreciate that. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't listen. Hopefully, yeah. all the other guys there will listen though to yeah. the show. Oh, so that, oh, just amazing. Some of the places you've been just sound, you know, fantastic. You know, they're, they're places that, you know, we'll, you know I, I'll never probably fly to in my time. Um, but one of the ones that, that I would love to see would be Alaska, I think, would be, would oh, be a place I'd love Alaska to see. Alaska is the most most beautiful country to fly in. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, it's, it's just sort of fairly, fairly VIP sort of a tour with, with FAR coming all around the world. The world the, um, we had a reception for us in um, Anchorage and the the boss of the American Organization of uh, Law, the FAA, Federal, Federal Aviation Administration, was there, and he was the new guy there, and uh, and he said, "Never been in charge of um, aviation uh, responsibilities for aviation law in Alaska." So I was chatting to him, and uh, he said, "It's wonderful. Everybody's flying, and the little lakes got seaplanes on them, and the seaplane base, absolutely wonderful." So, well, what are your problems here? He said, "Well, so, um, what I really want to do is try to improve the uh, the licensing." So I said, "I'm." I'm not quite sure. Well, we reckon that about 60% of these pilots don't have a pilot's license. They're taught by their dad and they just get on and fly. And they haven't got a license and they don't crash and they don't, they don't, so don't get, don't get penalised. They, they, they've been taught properly. They fly safely. They don't uh, infringe controlled airspace. We're not arresting them. 
Uh, we don't normally walk around if anybody's behaving like same thing. If you're behaving beautifully, they would say, "Where's your pilot's license?" And nobody's mm-hmm. asked me for pilot's license. But the fact that so many pilots in America learn by their dads and they learn on the lakes and they fly around and they just learn not to fly here, not to fly there, work the radio their dad told them to, and they fly perfectly like that without a license. Amazing. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, I suppose I, I, it's, no, it's, it's a cheaper way of learning to fly. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, learning from <laughs> your father. Yeah, and, and also the whole not only that, but the whole, whole spirit of Alaska, the whole mm. spirit of America, can-do country where you can do it, you go and do it. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, no one's going to catch you, or, or you know, what, 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 if you don't do anything wrong, you're not going to get caught. Mm. I've, I've been flying you know, a few hours now, and uh, nobody's ever asked to see my license. Wow. Nobody ever said, well, "Can I have a look at your pilot's license, please." Um, well, I suppose also in America, it's such a such a vast sort of a, sort of area. Is it well in Australia and other places, isn't mm, it, where yeah. a lot of people have their own private planes? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 at, um, the principal one in in, in Anchorage is, is Merrill Field, mm-hmm. and that's oh, that bigger than Farnborough. You know, right. uh, it, it's, it's absolutely huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge. And then the smaller ones, which are grass strip ones around Lake Hood, uh, on a Lake Hood, I think there are four hundred or five hundred seaplanes all parked. Mm-hmm. And there's a two-year waiting list to get a slot to park your seaplane. Oh, and everybody <laughs> takes off their seaplanes, and it's right, they're right in, 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 in tra- mingling their seaplanes with the commercial aircraft coming into the in, into Alaska. <laughs> Um, it, 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 it is wonderful. It yeah. is just a wonderful okay. way of flying. Yeah. Um, and if you go there, it's very easy to get a license. And uh, any time you have to show a license, if you uh, want to get an American license, you know, yeah. if you get an American license, turn up with the FBO, here's my license. Yeah. One check flight and uh, and just go. And uh, the radio works dead simple and uh, don't, no, don't pay landing fees anywhere. Um, it's a lovely free atmosphere, place to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's brilliant. So to round up uh, then the show for today, Rodney, uh, what's uh, what's in the future for you? Apart, you've got the Precision Pilots thing later on uh, this year, haven't you? I have. The, um, the, the big the big thing for me this year is I'm going to lead um, eighteen aircraft um, to play to recreate Napoleon's escape. So we're going to fly to Elba, on the island of Elba, where he was imprisoned. And he escaped in his hundred days. He went from Elba to meet his doom at Waterloo. <laughs> and we're going to fly up the route Napoleon, stopping and eating and drinking. Uh, um, uh, oh, sorry, 18 Quite aircraft, went right. slowly up and, and land at, uh, at Waterloo um, and uh, participate and watch the uh, 200th anniversary celebrations of the Battle of Waterloo when we put, put paid to Napoleon and re- reset the... Uh, the map because two years ago we we did the same thing we recreated the Battle of Balaclava, yeah. and I flew my little Cessna to Sevastopol, which is now part of Russia, Crimea, in the Crimea. We were in the Crimea in 2013 um, with 20 aircraft, um, and we took four Tiger Moths all the way to to, to Crimea, um, and recreated the Battle of Crimea into the, into the Valley of Death Road. The 400, the Tiger Moths came zooming in. And, and there were 10,000 people on the hills watching and bombs went up at the Ukrainians. Uh, we recreated the entire battle with Mustangs representing the Russian, Russian gun, Tiger Moth representing the British cavalry. Um, I was flying photo ship, uh, aerial photographing of it all. And on the ground, the Ukrainians were just so appreciative of the fact we'd come. Uh, we were supporting Ukraine. 
and we had a reception on the battleship of the Ukrainian Navy and the Admiral saying we're there on the other side of the harbour is the Russian Black Sea Fleet and here we are the Ukrainian Navy and we are the best of friends and uh, we share this wonderful harbour and there we are three months later it all gone pear-shaped he was arrested and um, uh, and that's now part of Russia they changed the time and, uh, wow. and, I, and I, I, I flew my little Cessna there in the middle of 2013 Gosh. Wow. How things, How change. things change, yeah. yeah. And so quickly. Yeah. So yeah. quickly, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Okay, well, we're going to bring episode 50 of the Plain Talking UK podcast to a close. Rodney, thanks ever so much for joining us yeah. in the studio this week. Um, it's an absolute honour to have you sitting here and telling us all about your stories. It's been fantastic. Um, I'm going to listen back to this myself um, <laughs> again. And I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy the show. So thanks for joining us, Rodney, Pleasure on the show. And uh, don't forget, we'll be back uh, next week uh, for another show. And uh, hopefully we'll have loads of information for everyone um, for you know some more information on air shows yeah. and stuff for the uh, coming season. Um, don't forget you can... I know we've got a, a slot from Pilot Pete. Yes, we have. Uh, Pilot Pip Sorry. has sent us in a segment. We're going to play that on our next episode. Uh, Pip sent us that in yesterday. Uh, we're going to read, uh, put that into the show on next week's episode. Mm. Uh, just quickly then, Rodney, uh, where can sort of people find out more uh, about uh, the Precision Pilots, uh, the, the bits you do, you do? Is there a site, a website, or uh, if they type in on Google search, Precision Pilots? That, that's probably the best. It's pre- yeah. Google pre- Precision Flying. Precision flying, um, yeah. Also the Royal Aero Club um, on, on that. Uh, yeah, the Royal Aero Club. The Royal Aero Club, yeah. yeah. So you can uh, look up the Precision Pilots Association. Uh, you'll be able to see uh, see Rodney's uh, his picture on there and uh, a bit of a bio about what he's done and the flying he's done. Yeah. The site is www.precisionflying.co.uk. Oh, and, and Rodney's <laughs> taking a photo, obviously. That's very kind of you. So that's it then for episode 50. Thanks for uh, listening to uh, our show this week. We hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Like us on uh, Twitter as well. Follow us on Twitter. And uh, check out our website as well uh, or www.plaintalkinguk.com. Plain spelt P-L-A-N-E. So from me, Carlos, in the studio, in the kitchen studio, it's uh, a uh, very, uh, very happy uh, goodbye. And from you, Matt. Yeah, goodbye. We'll uh, promise to have a vo- bit more of a voice next week. <laughs> and uh, from you, Rodney? Well, n- nice to be here. <clears throat> Enjoyed your company. And uh, t- tell you some other stories another day. Excellent. Yes, please, yeah, do. Thanks, and, and goodbye. Bye.